refresh my memory, why am I here again? Tis, as your high school guidance counselor, it is my job to ensure that whatever your middling interests are at 16, turn into some sort of career to stick you at for the rest of your life. No, I mean, why am I here? I'm 19. Well, sort of. I'm not sure how being in a tank for two and a half years affects age. Look, look, look. My paperwork says you're 16. Let's just get this over with. Uh, go on. Tell me about yourself. Well... Aside from, you know, saving the whole cosmos. Oh, I do like home cooking and seafood. Yeah, all right. Let's just punch that data in my machine here. And hey, looks like you'll be getting the merchant asterisk. Merchant? You're kidding me. I have to go on a world-saving journey again here. you got to get me something useful. Tis, tis, tis. Let me put it this way. Do you want to go on some endless time loop? where you're fighting demons over and over and over again because of some stupid lying sprite? Or do you want to just settle down, throw some merchandise up on eBay once in a while, and just enjoy life for a change? Oh, you know what? You're right. Thanks, Glenn Kutzler. You've changed my life. It's what I do. It's what I do. Uh, secretary, send the next kid in. Hello, Master Guidance Katzler. I'm meowing. Happy to meet you. Oh, for the love of... You know, Catmancer asterisk. Next! This is RBG Backtrack, RB Gamer's official retro gaming podcast covering titles from the early days of PC gaming right up through the consoles of yesteryear. Join hosts Kelly Ryan, Matt Mason, and the estimable Mike Minky as they and their guests tell you what to borrow, what to buy, and what to relegate to that big backlog in the sky. And hello and welcome to RPG Backtrack, your regular deep dive into your favorite RPGs. We are a production of RPGamer.com, bringing you such fine podcasts like RPG Cast, which is your news show, and Q&A Quest, which is your RPG feedback show, and introducing the, bravely to my default, my co-host, Matt Mason. Woohoo! I'm ready to talk about this one. I have watched all the YouTubes. I have listened to all the random podcasts. Uh, my brain suddenly remembers a lot of stuff from five years ago. Six years ago. Six years ago now. Wow. That's oh, wait. No, it was five years ago. Sorry. I, five, <laughs> six, whatever. It was a while ago. Yes. And uh, joining me from the UK, our very own Alex Fuller. Hello. And our resident Bravely Default superfan, Miss Cassandra Ramos. Hello, everybody. Always happy to have you. And yeah, it's uh, been a while since we talked about the Bra Bravely game. I can't remember when you guys did a Brave or yeah, Bravely Default. Uh, I mean, it's it quite a while ago. It was before I started. And I mean, it was. I mean, Bravely Second was out, but otherwise. Yeah. And it's oh, that's true. Not exactly sure when that happened. Coming full circle because now we've got Bravely Default 2. And um, just a disclaimer for the show. So for the longest time, I'm sure a lot of us called this Bravely Default 2. And now that there is actually one, it's going to be hard to call this Bravely Second. So if we slip up like the next two hours, <laughs> just please forgive us. <laughs> it's so hard not to call it Bravely Default 2. <laughs> and uh, I think it goes without saying, too, we're going to spoil the heck out of this game. It'd be hard to do that without spoiling the first game. 
too. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, as yeah. would as as you would expect in a sequel show. Yeah, because this like unlike most RPGs, this does tie directly into the first game, which to, to me is unusual mm-hmm. when our at least Japanese RPGs relate to each other. Oh yeah, tie- usually yeah. there's that. Go ahead, Alex. Sorry. I was gonna say it does tie in, although the way it's set up means you don't necessarily have to have played the first one to enjoy this one at least. Yeah. No, but the impact wouldn't be anywhere near as much. But I guess we'll get into that. Yeah. yeah. And then, but since we've all played Bravely Default 2, the actual sequel, were we going to talk about that at all? I know Matt kind of wanted to get into it a little bit. I'm only up to chapter, still uh, mostly through chapter two, so. Yeah, I've been playing <laughs> it very slowly, too. But. I was going to say, we'll, let's do a little segment on it. Maybe just 10 minutes, talk about some strategies we've done. We don't have to get into spoilers at all. We'll, uh, no, of course we'll leave it as just a little, you know, 10, 15 minutes of our thoughts so far on it. Mainly to kind of compare and contrast, because, yeah, it's just booting up a little bit of Bravely Second this afternoon just to kind of refresh my memory, having muscle memory from this um, Switch game. It's like, yeah, they did change a lot in this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But oh. um, that that being said, we will have a short musical interlude, and then we will get right into it. Welcome back to RPG Backtrack, talking Bravely Second, a game that came out in Japan on April 23rd, 2015, and then the U.S. kind of close to a year later, around April 15th, 2016, and then Europe actually got it before us on February 26th. Curse as it got the Yokai Watch 3 treatment. Yeah, that, that was back when Europe was getting a lot of RPGs before us. Well, it, it got the Bravely Default treatment. Yeah, the first thing <laughs> <was> the same. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Wasn't it mostly localized in uh, Europe first? Well, it was a Nintendo published game, so. Ah, but yeah, um, they talked about a sequel as early as December 2012 to uh, Bravely Default. Um, I think at that time, weren't they calling it Bravely Default for the sequel? Uh, well, uh, yeah, you had the first version uh, of bra- the game. Yeah, Bravely Default for the sequel is what japan called the new version of bravely default which launched, uh, which launched around the same time as bravely default did in the west i see yeah so, and yeah. the western version is based on that version okay um and yeah they, they made a sequel because they were getting a lot of feedback from the uh, first game and they wanted to use that feedback and i think this time around they wanted the game to be a little bit more story based than exploration based which i i definitely see that because the story seemed a lot a lot more prevalent in this game mm-hmm. yeah the, the characters are more fleshed out and developed too even the returning ones yeah it was more character oriented or at least like you said the more more development with the characters mm-hmm. and um 
I think in direct response to the criticisms of the first game, they made it so that, you know, each asterisk you had, you had, you found you had to pick between a conflict and whoever you fought is whose asterisk you got. Well, for the the returning ones from the first game anyway, most yeah. of the attorney ones, uh, the uh, the new asterisks were introduced during a story proper. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get into the story because it is quite an interesting one. The most interesting, or one of the interesting things I found um, that the demo was a completely unique chapter yes it was more of a prelude and by design it kind of made it so that it wasn't too directly too directly related to the main plot uh so you start the game off with the new characters you jenny olja jan angard and nikolai nikolainikov they are the three cavaliers who are the the top three in the Crystal Guard. And they are sent by Agnes, who is now the Pope of the Crystal Orthodoxy, to investigate some goings-on in a new town, Al Campus, which is, as the name suggests, a large campus city. <laughs> uh, you're gonna get... You gotta love puns if you like this series, but anyway. Uh, so they do meet up with uh, Magnolia Arch, another new character who was uh, heavily promoted before the game, and you also see her in a secret movie in... The first game, they oh, think yeah. she's yes, yeah, they think she's the guide sent by uh, Agnes, and you can't actually see the the guide come by. And say, hey, where did those guys go? And they go around. I don't remember exactly remember the details. They go around. You get they run into both old um, asterisk bears from the from Eternia and some of the new asterisk bears from the Glantz Empire. And by the end, they find a monster, uh, what uh, one of the new creatures that you do run into the first game more or less, a ball, and it's Ball the Fifth Urchin, and Magnolia says she's there to kill it. After they defeat it, uh, Magnolia has to vanish. She doesn't explain why, and for some reason, all of their memories of almost the entire event are erased, and Magnolia says she'll forget it too. But Yu is weirdly depressed about it. He's not sure why, and he has a flower left with him, that the same one that Magnolia is wearing in her hair that whole time. And he thinks, you know what, we'll, we'll meet it. Well, somehow we'll meet again. He doesn't know who he's going to meet again, but they'll meet again. Mm-hmm. I guess it's supposed to be a, co- like, it's, it's a demo before the story. And since the series loves getting meta, my guess is it's a commentary on how it's both related to the story, but not directly because it's a demo and not the game proper. And well, I think you can transfer some items from the demo to the main game. Uh, it's not like you're loading, it's not like you're keeping the save file or anything. Yeah, I, I like that they did kind of a demo that was completely removed from the story because unless your save progress does transfer over, I kind of don't like it when I have to replay through the demo segment. Ditto. Oh, yeah. And uh, what's also neat is that uh, you get a lot more development and character interaction with you jan and nikolai so you get more of a feel for their personalities which is pretty important because they're not going to be around as allies for long in the game proper <laughs> yeah when they did their thing in the game proper i was like oh i kind of wanted to see more of them yeah like i mean i knew they weren't going to sit around for long because it was obvious in previews that the main four were you magnolia edia and tiz so something happened to those two but it was kind of disappointing how shortly they were with you before things go south and things go south indeed getting into the main meat and potatoes of the game which gives you a nice little uh storybook summary of what happened in the first game so you're not totally lost Okay, so yeah, so after that summary, the game takes place two and a half years after the end of Bravely Default. Agnes is having a 
peace treaty talk slash ceremony between the Crystal Orthodoxy and the Duchy of Eternia, since there was a lot of bad blood between them for many years. But it is interrupted, and the game basically starts into a battle with a new villain who calls himself Kaiser Oblivion of the Glance Empire, along with his fairy companion, Anna, which, despite being spelled A-N-N-E, for some reason they all pronounce Anna. Uh, he is far too powerful and dis- defeats everybody there, including you and Agnes. He destroys Agnes's pendant so she can't summon help from another world. And then he steals away, he steals Agnes away and you is left unconscious. Uh, later on, you is awake in his room and his butler, Alfred, tells him that it's a miracle that he managed to survive. But you, being uh, kind of the headstrong type, immediately wants to go out and try to save Agnes. He finds out that much of the Crystal Guard has been uh, destroyed, but he does want to go with Jan and Nikolai to try to rescue Agnes. Uh, as they progress through a forest to find out more, you is uh, you sees that a lot of the Crystal Guard has been slain by Jan himself, and he reveals that he's been working for the Empire this whole time. He sort of says, "You you should join our side." You refuses, and he says, oh, "Okay, can't be helped." Tries to kill him, but you escapes by falling into a river, I think. And he manages to get back to the city of Gathladio, uh, which is a new one to this game. He sees that the Empire had attacked the Sanctum, and there he sees a Nikolai seemingly dying, who tells him, you know, run away, flee, go and live, you know, live. And, but you takes a different words to heart thinking, okay, I'll survive, but I'll still, you know, try and save Agnes. So he goes back into the forest, but he's scared out of his wits because there's ghosts everywhere. And it's one of his, he says he only has one great fear. He has like two or three, I think. <laughs> ghost heights and just general scary things. And while he's there, he's attacked by Bella, who first uh, menaces him by using her doll, her doll Donna and making it seem that it's possessed. And as he attacks, she attacks him, and but sh- he is rescued by Eddie Lee, who is now Knight's Captain of the Eternian Ducal Guard. Uh, they defeat Bella and they get her wiz- wizard asterisk. Uh, let's see. After that, uh, uh, they go to, so you and Edia, also you is like fawning over Edia because Edia and the other hero, like heroes of light are kind of heroes, well, they're heroes now. Mm-hmm. And he has a lot of respect for them. Uh, they go to meet uh, Norzin. He holds the Astrologian asterisk, but you don't find out that little about that until a little later. And he tells them that in order to save Agnes, and stop the Empire, they have to revive Tiz, who for the past two years has been in a coma ever since he released the celestial being within him that had been keeping him alive. Uh, he gives him a soul stone, and then they go to reach the Eternian command, like, command Central, where he, he is being kept alive by white magic machinery. Along the way, a ship a strange ship crashes and you find Magnolia there. He doesn't remember her. And for a moment, I thought maybe Magnolia had a bit of memory of him, but that, but anyway, again, nothing to do with the, uh, the demo. He revives her because Magnolia had been knocked unconscious using a uh, Magnolia flower from a nearby tree. And Magnolia is very moved by this. Although you is not sure why she introduces herself Uh, She's first speaking French, and uh, just as a side note, in Japanese she speaks English, Uh, but since in the English dub that wouldn't make any sense, she speaks French instead. (laughs) And uh, and another just 
weird, just kind of random aside as long as I'm on, on this. In the Japanese version, one of her catchphrases is good gravy. Uh, in, in the English version, though, she says a la vache, which is more or less French for holy cow or oh my god oh, instead. But for some reason, they gave the gravy stuff to you instead. Yeah, I was so about to the... ask. I don't know why. For, yes. for the gravy kind of had me in stitches the whole time when I was playing the game because it's so absurd but amusing. Yes, and of course this was this is our coup de gravy as a recurring one. Mm. But anyway, that aside, uh, she tells them that she, she does it. She tells them that, and Adia joins at some point that she's from the moon, and the moon's job is to protect. Lux and Dark from outside foes, but recently a powerful enemy had attacked the moon and devastated Fort Loon, which is the main settlement there. Uh, she's the only survivor, and she's like the only surviving major warrior there. She'll a little later she'll call herself what she is. Um, and any she's a head groaning she- pun. <laughs> yes, very. yes, that's a good one. This is the Bravely series. Head groaning puns are part of the course, <laughs> and so she also gives them a. The, she also shows them that she has the an hourglass. It allows the use of the bravely second mechanic, which you might remember for the from the first game, even though this game is obviously named after it. Uh, go into a little more detail there later, as well as some really interesting stuff. So along, uh, again, they go to try to rescue Agnes first to revive Tiz. The three of them run into Bella again, and this time she's with uh, Kook. Kuhulain, uh, that name is very hard, for, I find very hard to pronounce, and it's like pronounced at least four different ways, I swear, who holds the charioteer asterisk. He looks like a centaur, and according to the characters, uh, he, he looks like a centaur because Bella tried to revive him years ago, but she messed up and accidentally combined him with his horse. He doesn't mind being a centaur, though. Hey, built-in transportation. <laughs> yes, that's true. And uh, and I, I actually really find it this uh, I find this actually scene kind of fu- pretty funny because uh, uh, while they're being introduced, while they're being introduced, Kuhulain proudly pro- proclaims that Bella is a master of the art of ventriloquism, and this makes Bella drop her doll Donna. So you know the doll's not actually possessed; she's just really good at ventriloquism and uses her magic to make it float. <laughs> so she. She's from the Tipo school for control. I guess. And like during that battle with them, she, like the, the doll Don was using the spooky reaver, but since she knows the jig is up, she just makes it speak normally. <laughs> and she even says, like, and I'm Bella, bear of the then she realizes she doesn't have the asterisk anymore, it's former bear of the wizard asterisk. <laughs> this game is just so funny. Anyway, they beat them. Uh, they go to revive Tiz at the Attorney and Central Command using the Soul Stone, where the, he and Adia have a have a tearful uh, reunion. They try to fi- infiltrate the Skyhold, but they are stopped by Jen and a living Nikolai, who also reveals that he's been with the Glantz Empire this whole time. You battle them and you get their asterisks, the uh, bishop and the fencer, but by they stalled, but since they stalled you, the Skyhold gets away. And okay. The Skyhold is the big full floating fortress that the bad guy's in. Yes, and it's also apparently the only actual part of the Empire that they, that the Emperor rules over, near as I can tell. <laughs> like, okay, your Empire's a giant floating fortress, okay. They have, like, thousands of soldiers, but there you go. Sky superiority. It all yes. comes down to sky superiority. 
Okay, so then starts chapter one, where uh, uh, actually I forgot to mention before that Agnes, because the her pendant was shattered, she's able to use the pieces of it as a sort of as a communication device. She can speak into it and speak to you who's party at any time, and you can even see her usually at the bottom of the screen and can get some advice for her on what to do next. So she realizes that the Skyhold is heading towards the Harina region, which is the big desert region in Luxendark. Uh, while they're trying to find a way there, they run into Edia's old master, uh, Math Kamizumi. And just a side note, for some reason, the pronunciation of Edia's name changes between the two games. And I'm so used to Bravely Second's pronunciation, she's Edia to me. If you're used to Edia, I'm sorry. Ideally, they would have kept it the same. Yeah, ideally, I, I don't know why they. From what from what <laughs> I can tell, the uh, voice director. <laughs> I know, I know, you made a pun. The uh, voice directors yeah. are different between the first game and the second game, and I would argue strongly the second game has way better voice direction. So oh, I'm yeah. that has something to do with it. <laughs> anyway, they run into her old master Kami Izumi, who's accompanied by his new cat friend Subaki. And uh, and, uh, just another random side thing that I find funny. For some reason, uh, Kamizumi is very insistent Tsubaki is a Highland fold, which I assume he means a Scottish fold, but Scotland, I guess, doesn't exist in Luxembourg. And Edia just tells, (laughs) Edia tells him, sir, that's just an ordinary tabby. (laughs) And if you look at his model, he does look like a, like a, he's got pointy ears, not those little folded ears. But anyway, on while they're on a boat to Harina, they meet a, a new asterisk holder, Minette the Catmancer. She's able to control cats, so she con- takes over Subaki and makes him attack Kamizumi. So the party has to hurry to Alcampus to get him treated. At Alcampus, they find out about mon- the monsters, the balls, which are described as lords of monsters. And again, you do fight these things in the first game as sort of they're, they're bonus bosses extremely powerful bonus bosses in there anyway magnolia also says that she is a ball buster trained to fight these things and this game just yes. loves that fun to have the demo too <laughs> i wonder what it was in japanese it was uh something like uh something what was it like a just just like mao i think just a mao buster or something and mao is demon lord or uh-huh. or in japanese or equivalent there's a, a lot like mao is apparently a very hard work to translate like demon lord or demon king mm-hmm. and ball is actually not too bad a translation but regardless uh the uh, double entendre there is pretty obvious especially <laughs> since they are ball shaped so it's not <laughs> just them being dirty no yeah they are a lot of them are kind of rounded it fits on so many levels Yes. yes. Regardless, they go into the desert and they find the same ball as in the demo, Ball the Fifth Urchin, which looks like this giant, well, looks like a giant black urchin with umbre- covered in umbrellas for some reason. And the characters have this funny scene where they're trying to block out the rain with umbrellas and Tiz is a blockhead. It, funny stuff. Mm. Uh, let's see. After that, uh, they go in pursuit of the Skyhold, which has been stopped by a strange sandstorm just outside of the city of Anshine, which is near the Temple of Wind, as I recall. Uh, they find out uh, that it was the astrologian Norzen, who's also a professor at Alcampus, who used his magic to create the sandstorm, but it's not a good thing because it could destroy Anchime and also, oh, it could kill Agnes accidentally too. But he thinks it's more important that uh, 
the empire be stopped. The party has to convince him basically by beating him silly and taking his asterisk. And one of the, I think one of, one of my favorites for sure, the Astrologian. I just love using its uh, buffing abilities. Uh, but regardless, they convince, uh, yeah, so... He stops the storm, but he also tells him about an artifact called the Compass of Space and Time, which he knows the Empire is after. He tells them that it's in the Harina Sea Caves, but whoops, there are cats nearby, and Minette uses a network of cat spies. So she knows what's going on. She arrives there and uh, assassinates Norzen. So the party has to hurry after the Compass before Minette gets there. Uh, When they arrive there, they confront Minette and kill her. But Jan steals the compass away. Uh, he reveals that why is it that he is fighting with the Empire. He holds a grudge against the Genealogia family and the Crystal Guard in general for killing his family in this giant political to-do uh, years ago. He's not angry at you himself, but he definitely doesn't like his family. They try to, the party tries to reach the Skyhold again, but you is shot in the arm. And thus starts chapter two. Ouch. So, okay, their next destination is the Eisenberg region, where the, uh, near the fire temple. Uh, since their small boat can't cross the ocean, uh, this hidden mysterious figure tells you a special way to get there. They'll also run into this figure a few times that give him advice and also has been writing in his bestiary because uh, uh, this is not quite the story, but the bestiary is actually really fun to read because all the characters say a few lines about the different monsters and bosses in there. Uh, and one of these, at least at the time you don't know who it is, he just writes in purple ink. So they call him the man of the purple pen. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so they get to Eisenberg. They get to Eisenberg, and there they meet this uh, girl named Yoko. She says she's the princess of Unohana, a new area that's heavily based on Japan, mm-hmm. and that she's looking for her missing brother named Don Zaburo. The party agrees to help Yoko. But they are stopped by uh, Amy the Hawkeye. And, uh, well, I don't know if anybody remembers all the controversies surrounding her and the Hawkeye class in general. I I actually don't. You don't? Okay. So what happened is that originally the Hawkeye class was called the Tomahawk class. And they had a Native American design to them. And so did Amy. And they changed it for the localization to avoid, you know, controversy. But, of course, that produced the other controversy of, oh, no, you edited this. It's censorship somehow. And, no, you know, I, all, all that nonsense. No, it, it really isn't. I think it's more, you know, being sensitive to that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, precisely. Since, That's what since, localization you know, is. We're kind of changing a whole NFL team because of that stuff. So yeah. I yeah. I also strongly argue that a cowboy, because that's the Hawkeye now resembles a cowboy instead of a Native American, is mm. be a lot more appropriate for a gunslinger class than yeah. <laughs> the name Tomahawk brings to mind an axe, not a... Uh, not a rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- anyway, so she manages to injure a uh, one of their old allies from the first game, Commander Goodman of the Shield Bears, because she's being a Hawkeye and incredibly amazing shot. Uh, and just a r- odd thing about her is that Amy in the Japanese version spoke with a Kansai dialect, which gets turned into all sorts of different accents for English localization. For some reason, instead of giving her like uh, maybe a arguably more appropriate Texan accent, she sounds she got a Brooklyn accent or something to the effect instead. I don't get oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it was it, kind of, it was definitely a New York one. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it works. She, they certainly makes it work, and her actress really sells it. It's just like you know, you could have actually done a Southern slash Texan drawl, and it would have fit. But okay, still works. 
Anyway, they take Commander Goodman to to the uh, city of Hartschild to treat his wounds. And ongoing is this yearly festival called Hearts Fest. Over there, they meet a man named Angelo, who's selling cakes that are just to die for. But before they could get any, a crowd of girls takes them all instead, so he can't give them any. Uh, you and Magnolia have a sort of impromptu date, uh, but uh, and they also clear up some awkward uh, misunderstanding because the reason Magnolia is taken with you is that on the moon, uh, flowers are very rare there. So when a man gives a flower or a woman, it's basically proposing to her. And Magnolia misunderstood, and things are awkward, but they do patch things up. Also, Yoko's constantly flirting with you, and this makes Magnolia really angry. Uh, the next morning, Hart's child is weirdly deserted, but they do find Yoko's brother, Don Zaburo. Uh, she explains that the reason Don Zaburo left their home is because their father won't accept him as the heir, so Don Zaburo had to you know, make a name for himself. Uh, Don Zaburo helps the party get the jump on Amy so they can get past her and continue. Uh, and so yeah, I forget exactly how they managed to confront Amy in a battle and they kill her. But before she dies, she fires something off into the air. Uh, during that fight, Yoko is injured, so they take her to Yunohana to get treated. Uh, while there, Yoko talks to you about a legendary curse weapon called the Sword of the Brave. He knows about it, uh, but he doesn't want to say much except, you know, please don't go near it, stay away from it. The following morning, however, they found out that Yoko has gone by herself to the Geyser Grotto where the sword is said to be, and he was desperate to try to reach her. However, they go through the dungeon and it's too late. Yoko wishes on the sword that her brother could be made the heir instead, and the sword grants her wish and chops off Don Zabro's arm for in compensation. And you remember this is the same exact scenario that played out for him and his older half-brother, Denis, Jenny Olja, who was also not accepted was accepted as his father's heir, I think partially because he's his half-brother. I don't quite remember exactly why. And yeah, exact same thing. You sought out the sword, he wished on the sword to make Denis the heir, the sword took Denis' arm, and Denis ran away from home after that. And after you has that crisis, uh, Yoko reveals herself to be a yokai and transforms and transforms into a humanoid white-tailed, like a white nine-tailed fox. Uh, she toys with the she to toys and torments with the party, looking into their hearts to uncover their you know darkest secrets. She tells you, oh, looks. She tells well, yeah, obviously with you. She does the whole whoops. Here's your whoops that remind you of brother, didn't it? With Tiz, she to she uh, tells him like, oh, yeah, I see you found a replacement younger brother, huh? And with Magnolia, she sees that uh, she's uh, has survivor's guilt over uh, what happened to the moon. And when she tries to look into Edia's heart, uh, she's stopped by Alternus Dim. Uh, she looks into Alternus Dim's heart, just says, huh, okay, that's interesting. And then she leaves, uh, cryptically telling the party to go to the Temple of Fire, and Alternus goes in pursuit of her. Uh, the sword, by the way, is an illusion, and so is her brother, Don Zabaro. Uh, as a sort of a fun little aside that you might miss if you're not big on Japanese mythology, uh, the Don Zabaro is also the name of a uh, legendary uh, tanuki yokai mm. from Japanese myths. And tanuki and, yo and uh, kitsune are, as you may know, both uh, yokai known for shape-shifting. Although they're usually rival creatures. So fun little fact there that you see the, the fox yokai using a, tanu a tanuki yokai. Huh, I didn't never picked up on that. And I do know about yokai a little bit. 
So yeah, I thought that was pretty neat. And again, probably lost a lot of Westerners. So I did have a feeling that something was up with Yoko just because of how Fox, like, her costume looked even without transforming. Well, yeah, her just like, huh. And, and Yoko, her name, I believe, is another word for Fox. And I think even directly references yokai or demon foxes as opposed to just, you know, your regular wild animal foxes. Um, anyway, to continue, they go to the fire temple and they see that the Empire had somehow made the crystal go out of control, like, uh, you know, two years ago when Aerie made them make the crystals go out of control. They're not sure how, but they do figure out that the Empire will be going after the water crystal next. Uh, they go to Unohana to try to find a better way to get to Florum because there is no secret way to get there by their dinghy. While they're there, the uh, Lord of Unohana, Arima, offers them some sweets made by Angelo, the same guy that was in Heart's Child. And this is when you gets to choose who get who eats the cake. Uh, and you better hope you give it to somebody who can use magic because that person will get inflicted with a ghost status. It sends them to heaven, as he says. And the only thing they can do is use magic during battle. And I think if everybody gets either killed or inflicted with ghost status, it's game over. Um, you don't switch asterisks when you're a ghost? Uh, this is during battle itself, so. Oh, I gotcha. Think, yeah, they get hit, the, like, during the story, they turn into a ghost, and then the battle with Angelo immediately starts. So if you have it on somebody who's equipped with, you know, with, uh, with a physical class, you're probably out of luck. Or you can just have them throwing items at people, I guess. Actually, I'm not even sure if you can use items now I think of. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so they fight and defeat Angelo. But uh, Angelo is actually one of the few that doesn't die. Uh, he's about to kill himself using one of his deadly desserts. But that shot Amy fired uh, some time ago, somehow it hits him. Doesn't get, But it's carrying a letter somehow. And he reads the letter and finds... It reads a letter that's filled with Amy's heartfelt, uh, like heartfelt love for him. Because I forgot to mention earlier, Amy was gushing about how much she loved Angelo and calling him her darling. And Angelo mentions how he found her, he says he found her annoying, but considered her a useful tool. As he reads the letter, though, he breaks down because he realizes that her feelings for him were genuine and that he was in love with her too so he then needed to spend some time to soul search he decides to abandon the empire and and leaves there uh let's see here a little uh, after that uh, the party finds out that they can cure the ghost status by having somebody bathe in the waters of the hot spring in Unohana, uh, so he could cure the character that way. Also the hearts in hearts child the reason everybody vanished was because angela gave him all that ghostly cake so they've all been turned into ghosts and then they find out that the uh the bathhouse there at yonohana is actually a giant ship so they take it to heart's child and use the water to cure people of the ghost status lord arma is so grateful that he gives the, the bathhouse to them i mean i imagine that was a major attraction there but sure you can keep it and you names it the rub-a-dub because why not and with their new ship, they follow the Skyhold, but suddenly a beam of light hits the Skyhold and starts Chapter 3. I love that your airship in this game is basically a giant bathhouse. <laughs> I mean, I guess they already had the cool giant floating nation in the grand ship, so why not make it a bit sillier this time around? Anyway, uh, after that, uh, they get a message from Magnolia Superior on the Moon, uh, Vice President Appleberry is his name, 
that the light that hit the sky hold was called an SP beam. It's the same energy that's in the arrow, our, hourglass. And as you might know, SP is the, uh, there's at least there's sleep points out of game. That's what powers the Bravely second ability by putting her 3DS into sleep mode. Uh, they go to investigate the, in, a, in the uh, city of Florum to find out where that bee might have come from, but it's attacked by the Glantz Empire and led by another asterisk holder, Geist the Bloody, holder of the Ester- Exorcist asterisk. Geist's ability allows him to use undo, which can he can rewind time slightly so he can heat. He can heal any damage done to somebody or reinflict any damage done by going uh, backwards and forwards in time. So because of that, he kills some he kills some people in Florum and then brings them back to life using Undo. But they remember being killed and it's a very fun way to torture them, at least fun for him, I imagine. He's going to do this to Edia, who tries to stop him, but she is saved by Alternus Dim. Geist has to retreat because Alternus' Dark Knight abilities are actually a pretty good match for his undo abilities. And then Alternus is, but Alternus is either, is he injured there? I I can't remember exactly when at some point Edia gives like wraps, say a a ribbon around his arm. And you might want to pay close attention to this ribbon. And also he says a couple of things that implies he may not exactly be Alternus Dim, yet he also is at the same time. We'll get to it. Okay, and after all that, a man named Lotus overhears Magnolia speaking French. He talks to the party and he reveals that he thought only the people in his village, the hidden village of Sagita, Sagita spoke that language. Uh, and he tells her that they, over there, they also fight balls and other threats to Luxendark. Lotus decides to take the party to Sagita, which, as it turns out, is a floating village in the sky. In Sagita, they meet the elder Sirius and he tells them that Sagita, at least their, their legends say that the people are descended from the moon, and later you find out that's that's true. Uh, Sagita was the one that fired upon the Skyhold with their SP cannon, uh, because they recognize that it holds a ball within it. I actually don't remember exactly when they find out there's a ball within the Skyhold, but yeah. Uh, the party tells them, please don't fire on, upon it again, because Agnes is in there. Can give them a chance to rescue her first? But he says they can't. Once, if they see it cross their line of sight again, they have to fire. So the party needs to find some way to get airborne. Uh, while they investigate the village, uh, you and Magnolia uh, come across the they, they find they find out that the village is covered in a, a substance called levistone that allows it to float in the sky they also find out the, the uh, identity of the mysterious man of the purple pen it's actually tis being possessed by another soul with him within him this person is long dead is named altire and he was actually a famous scientist back in his day. And he's the one that invented the com- the space-time compass, among apparently a lot of other things. A guy suddenly attacks Sagita, and you actually get to fight him with uh, Altair possessing Tiz. He can only possess him at nighttime, as I recall. A Geist uses undo abilities to make him very hard to kill, so to stop him permanently, Altair uses the SP energy the village has stored and they can keep him down. Uh, Let's see here. However, the SP SP cannon can't fire again, at least not for who knows how long, Uh, so they can't can't fire upon a skyhold anyway. At that point, Altair explains his theory for the Kaiser's true goal. He thinks he wants to use the space-time compass uh, to and the overloaded crystals to pierce the boundary between worlds and travel back in time so they can alter the past. 
as of course it's all through the past, this will very likely destroy the current world, and, well, that's not good. Uh, Agnes informs them that the Skyhold is trying to go back to the Water Temple again. At the earlier point, they had uh, the Matriarch of Florum and uh, the Vestaling, a Vestal in training called Sylvie, erect a barrier around it. But when they tried to intercept the uh, Empire at the Water Crystal, they found that Agnes is there using her power to overload the crystal. Uh, she is clearly being controlled in some way. You'll let her find, you later find out she's been possessed, but uh, we'll get into that. And while there, Anna the fairy, Anna the fairy six a boss on the party. It's the, these two bumbling, uh, these two bumbling members of the Empire, uh, Sergeant Sapp and Private Peddler. Uh, their scenes are always funny together. Uh, after that, Nikolai confronts the party, and he explains his reasoning for joining the Empire. All uh, He was with the uh, the Crystal Guard. He saw the corruption within the church and the Crystal Guard, and yet he felt powerless to really stop it. And he felt terrible about himself by not really doing anything, so he's hoping that by working with the Empire, he can you know, rewrite history by traveling back in time. The party is forced to kill him. And after that, the Holy Pillar had a appears the same one from the first game which allowed them to travel between worlds the rubber dub is however it comes to them now capable of flight by using the levistones on it so now you not only you have a flying bathhouse not just a giant ship bathhouse uh let's see here Getting a little tired here definitely have a story in this oh yes there is a lot going on and i'm barely touching upon like all the side stories the, uh, the side quests and such. Actually, at all. Not at all, I should say. Uh, the party uses the uh, the now flight-capable Rub-A-Dub to reach the Skyhold, but when they get to the room Agnes is in, they see that she's not there. Instead, they're attacked by Magnolia, who's being possessed by the uh, bear of the Guardian Asterisk Revenant. Uh, after he's able... After uh, he they defeat Revenant, and as he fades away, uh, he tells them that uh, he tells them that it was his father Geist who had uh, bound his soul to a suit of armor, which should sound kind of familiar. <laughs> anyway, uh, after Revenant passes on, they go to stop the Kaiser, but run into Jan one more time. Again, they are, are unable to avoid killing him this time, and you says a tearful goodbye to a guy he still considers his fr a good friend. And even Jan admits he just can't bring himself to hate you. Um, let's see here. After that, uh, then there's a fun little side to, to, to the title. The party gives you a pep talk because he's worried that he won't be able to beat the Kaiser this time around. Act Magnolia says to him, bravely second. She clarifies that it's a literal translation of an old moon saying that means the courage to try again. When they catch up to the Kaiser, it's too late. He takes Agnes and the compass and disappears into the holy pillar. Anna the fairy then uses the light of the pillar and her brooch to make the moon disappear out of the sky, which freaks Magnolia to no end. It also makes the world go sepia-toned. And for a real kicker, Anna talks directly to the screen and says the same thing that Fairy in the very beginning of Bravely Default said. Oh, I see fire in those eyes. And yeah. So uh, after that, she fights the party. And even though they do kill her, she doesn't mind because she's already fulfilled her master's wish. 
when they leave the skyhold, they see that the wind is still, the water is weirdly still. It's as if time itself has frozen. And some characters have mentioned earlier that they have hit the end layer as an explanation for this game's strange subtitle, Bravely Second End Layer. The end layer is like seen as sort of the end of time and they don't know what to do about it. Then you speaks directly to the screen and says, if anybody's out there, please help us take us back to where it all began. And as an aside, if you do decide to explore the world in this weird state, the only random encounters are balls and all like every other character says um, bravely second the courage to try again. As well as some weird cryptic stuff, stuff by uh, the matriarch and Sylvia that I don't think ever gets explained. Yeah, I thought it was a very interesting way to get you to do a new game. Yes. So At this point, you think the game is over, but you're also missing half the asterisks. Yeah, not to mention it's not exactly a uh, happy ending. So when you do get back to the title screen, you see that you can make a new... It tells you you can make a new game plus, which is kind of strange. So if you do that, uh, you start over seemingly from the prologue with the battle against Kaiser Oblivion. Uh, this time around, however, you'll see that you, you was only at the very beginning, only able to use the attack command. But on this new game plus, you see they can use com the attack command or bravely second. And it's, uh, it's actually kind of easy to miss this and accidentally start the game all over again if you don't know how to pay attention. Yeah. I did that several times. Not I yeah, I did that a couple of times. Yeah, I did, I did that just once going, okay, I, I okay, this can't be it. Although there's this weird item here that wasn't there before. Yeah, but it's easy to, you know, spoiler-free find out. No, no, if you pay attention, you see Bravely Second is available. Well, not only that, with the, like the first game, the title screen changes to say send player. Oh, uh, yes. I'm that is my hair like, send player? What does that mean? <laughs> and I, I had to look it up. But yes, so if you choose the Bravely Second command... Uh, and Magnolia, Tiz, and Edia appear along with their levels and their skills, and you also regain these things, and they're able to fight with the Kaiser on even ground. It's, I mean, that that is mind blowing. They, yeah. it's a it's a story representation of importing your, you know, your save file from a, in a new game plus. That is incredible. Anyway, they defeat the Kaiser and they discover that Kaiser Oblivion's true identity is Denis Geniolja, Yu's long lost brother. He's taken into. Huh? Sorry. Oh, oh no, long lost brother. <laughs> yes, I know. They, they only mentioned him earlier, and like right after they mentioned that, so shortly after they mentioned that his arm was chopped off, you see that the Kaiser is has a mechanical right arm. <laughs> so, yeah. not exactly subtle. Uh, let's see here. So, anyway, they take the Kaiser into custody, and Agnes and the Duchy complete the uh, treaty ceremony. After that, however, they forgot that Nikolai and Jan uh, were members of the Empire, I guess, and they helped the Kaiser to escape. And after that, however, they're able to devise a plan to stop the Empire before they, you know, set their plans to motion again. It's actually pretty neat because technically you're, you know, replaying the game but this like you're you know doing a time loop but it's the story is so very different this time around you're definitely not feeling like you're you know fighting the same like playing through the same story again and the best part is that the characters know you're doing this so they're like okay okay skip all the dialogue who do we pick this time 
Yes, and they also know. Okay, we know they can. We know they can do this. And weirdly, the like a lot of the characters do rem have memories of this of the other save file, the other world, the other timeline, whatever you want to call it. But the party is still quick enough to stop the empire every way. Uh, each time they defeat one of the uh, Glance Empire asterisk holders, they actually spare their lives instead, and they hear out their stories because a lot of them. They're working for the empires because they've been wronged by the orthodoxy or the crystal guard or both. And they're hoping that by working with the empire, they can, you know, change the world for the better by traveling back in time. Uh, let's see here. Uh, after they managed, they confronted uh, Denis in the uh, Geniolja family mausoleum. There he tells you about their ancestor, founder Geniolja who rose to power a long time ago by committing terrible acts. And it's because of him that there's this, apparently only because of him, I somehow doubt that, that there's a long legacy of corruption within the Crystal Orthodoxy and the Crystal Guard. Denis is hoping that he, by traveling back in time, he can kill Founder before uh, this corruption takes hold and change the world for a better. I mean, I think the grandfather... Uh, paradox might set into there, but you know, whatever. Timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, ball and all that. Uh, you tells him that he, he wants to preserve the current world because this is where his friends live, and he believes they can create a better future together. Uh, the party fights, and Denis is defeated, and this time around they earn his uh, Kaiser asterisk. Uh, Denis is shown his error of his ways, but he thinks he's beyond redemption and should just be given a quick death. Uh, they show him that his companions in the Glance Empire are alive and well and also reformed, so instead he endeavors to atone for all his atrocities instead. Uh, the party uh, later on, the party have a celebratory dinner at Yu's house. Uh, they're in uh, the awkward subject of Magnolia having to return home to the moon comes up. And Yu has a heart to heart with his brother Denis in the bath. As they're there, however, the holy pillar somehow appears again. They're all shocked and don't know how it happened. So they take the rubber dub back to the skyhold and find out that Anna the fairy had coerced the matriarch of Florum and Sylvie to overload the crystals instead, since she doesn't have Anna. Yes, around. Uh, so before Anna can make the moon disappear again, Denis destroys Anna's brooch. She gets orders then from her mysterious master to awaken the ball within the skyhold. It is the ball Diamant, which is the one that devastated the moon a year ago. The party fights the ball, but it's able to revive itself after uh, the first time you defeat it, and it's apparently it'll just keep reviving itself if you keep doing the if you keep knocking it out, though I don't think you actually do that in battle. You only kill it once. So Denis, seeing no other option, uses the space-time compass to send him and the ball to the end of time, and they both disappear. Uh, the next time, when chapter six starts, you'll see a very familiar scene, and if you're me, you'll be like, oh no, not this again. You awakens out of bed at the inn in Caldisla, being woken up by the innkeeper Carl. <laughs> Anybody else? Just kind of like, oh no. Think it's gonna go into that endless time loop like game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I did the same thing. Like, oh god. It's like, no. like, please tell me that's just a reference. Like, and then of course just like, wait a minute, Caldisla. And of course, it, all that time it was bothering me. Like, where is Caldisla on the map? Why did nobody mention it? Why has Tiz not once mentioned his brother Till? And it takes Yoko to bring bring him up. And even after that, he doesn't mention her. 
So when they w- the party wakes up and they all realize that somehow they had forgotten about Kadisla. They're not sure how. Uh, Alternus also appears. He tells them that he's the one that brought them to Kaldisla. And also it was Yoko that told him about Kaldisla. But even Alternus is just like, Kaldisla, where's that? And later on, the game implies, I, I could swear it was somewhere, but I don't remember exactly where, that it was Yoko that purposefully made Kaldisla disappear off the map and from everybody's memories. And you also find out that everybody in Kaldisla forgot about the outside world somehow. Uh, again, I don't know if it's, I could swear it was at least partially explained to be Yoko's doing, but I don't remember how and when. Uh, anyway, the party goes to meet the king. Uh, and then they find out that there's a strange monster found nearby. When they go to investigate, it turns out to be another ball. Ball the first turtle dove, which is one of the two you fight in Bravely Default. Magnolia is baffled because uh, balls are supposed to come from space and they pass by the moon. So even if the moon isn't able to fight them because it's been mostly destroyed, they should at least be able to tell her, hey, there's a ball coming your way. They do defeat the monster. Uh, but they're not sure what's going on. That Later that night, Altair tells the party that he believes the balls are were created from Vega, his long-dead wife's memories of her and Altair's life together. And that they most likely came from the Celestial Realm, which you might remember from the first game. He says that the only way that you might be able to reach the Celestial Realm is if they talk to the fairy Anna. Uh, they go back to the Great Chasm. And over there you see Anna who realizes, whoa, this is a path directly from Luxendark to the Celestial Realm. And she was the one who summoned that ball directly to Luxendark. And she believes she can even use this pathway to bring her master to Luxendark. When the party arrives, uh, she tells this much to the party and she reveals that her master is the god and ruler of Celestial Realm, Providence. Uh, She fights the party in a more powerful form, but she is defeated. Uh, you, you have to, pr- before you can enter the uh, the last dungeon area, you have to pray away the mist that covers the chasm, somewhat mimicking like the pressing rapidly X thing you have to do for the crystals in the first game. But you only have to do it once, thankfully. <laughs> and they also do that neat little trick where the camera turns on and you can see your face o- over the chasm. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, we'll we'll get into what that entailed when um, we get to into our memories later. But yeah, it's always flattering seeing your game face <laughs> with the front camera turns on. Yeah, I mean it's not as shocking as the first time, but it's still a really really neat trick. Uh, anyway, let's see here. So they travel down the Vio. Uh, the Via Celestio, which is the road between Lux and Dark and a Celestial Realm. Uh, the landscape there oddly resembles the same, like the same scenery that shows up when you fight the balls. And Altair explains that each of the each of the memories between him and his wife Vega, the first time they met, uh, the first time they really had, uh, you know, the first time they really introduced each other, their first date, uh, their proposal, their wedding, and even the, the first time he gave him a ring. Get, that uh, Altair gave Vega a ring because he wasn't able to afford a ring when he first proposed to her, but gave her to one later before they could leave the Celestial Realm. Uh, at some point, he also found out that Altair that is actually was a resident, and so was Vega, of the Celestial Realm, which is very confusing because the first game implies the Celestial Realm is the real world, but apparently that's not quite true. I, I'm still not exactly sure how that works. But it seems like the Celestial Realm is is very similar to the uh, current world as well. Because they have like the same level of technology and Christmas apparently exists. 
and skiing. So I'm still not exactly sure how the two are related. And of course, this game wants to leave it ambiguous. Anyway, so, but, but yeah, anyway, uh, where was I? But for the celestial realm was being invaded by something. They don't explain what it is and they have to escape from celestial realm to Luxendark. But Vega is somehow left behind and Altair has been worked the rest of his life to try to find her. But he unfortunately dies before he can achieve that. And that's why his soul is still around because he's hoping he can find some way, even as a disembodied soul, to meet with Vega again. Um, When they finally reach an area that looks like the uh, a wedding chapel. Uh, he hears Vega's voice, who harshly accuses him of abandoning her. And then, th- then this is when the final boss appears, the god Providence, who takes the form of a uh, a humanoid bird. And uh, just as a little f- fun, just another sort of mythological aside, uh, the story of Altair and Vega is purposely based on uh, the uh, Tanabata story. Uh, Altair and Vega being the stars that represent... Um, Hikoboshi and Orihime in that story. I'm not sure how well you you know it, but uh, don't want to spend too much time on that. Yeah, no, uh, it's and, come up a few times in Japanese. Yes, yeah. Stuff, so, uh, yeah if, if you if you follow random things, you'll probably have heard it at some point. Yeah, it's a, it's a well known fairy tale throughout East Asia, but I, I couldn't like I, I know I have seen their Chinese names, I couldn't tell you how to pronounce it. Anyway. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's based on the Chinese folklore tale. But... Yeah. So anyway, in that story. Uh, Altair and Vega are separate. Are able to unite once a year by a bridge of magpies. So Providence might actually be a magpie, and in a sick, twisted sense, instead of uniting them, he's he's a uh, holding Vega prisoner because uh, he feeds on despair and other negative emotions, and by keeping her soul around. He can feed on her despair for eternity, but she's not a perfect source of despair because she still holds out a tiny bit of hope that one day Altair will return to her. So he devised a way to try to make her despair more. By using her memories, he twisted them and created balls based on them. Turtle Dove is their wedding. Uh, the, uh, the urchin is based on the time they shared an umbrella and so on and so forth. It's actually pretty neat. And of course, yeah. they're, they're, these, monsters, these monsters are freakish too. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, and then she makes her feel despair because it's like, oh, it's my fault. And now they're attacking Lux and Dark while all terror is living. And he's been looking for a way to go to Lux and Dark so he can destroy it and leave her without any hope. And probably also feed on everybody's despair down there too. I imagine the big bonus. Uh, they fight Providence and they seemingly destroy him. Uh, once after that, Altair is reunited with Vega and their souls bid them adieu and they go off to parts unknown. When the party tries to leave, suddenly a battle starts and Providence comes back in a new form. He literally becomes the Eye of Providence. This is uh, the true final boss. Yes. He's, he's, he's a giant upside down pyramid with, you know, that eye, you know, floating atop it. He's the Illuminati. It's actually pretty neat. And the design is really cool, too, and creepy. Uh, during the fight, Providence will talk not only to the party, but he'll also talk directly to the screen. He's, of course, talking to the player. To you. He taunts them saying, oh, you're just playing with these people. You are getting enjoyment out of seeing them suffer. And then he says, okay, I'm just going to take control away from you for a moment. And after that, uh, this effect is really amazing. The screen glitches out. The screen like goes to static and the music glitches out. 
and you you're unable to control anything. The characters attack each other, and then finally, Providence says, "Okay, enough of this." The screen fades to the title menu, and when you try to pick back on your save file, the only thing you're able to do, your cursor is able to do, is go down to the delete all function. Just as it looks like you're being forced to delete your save file, you tells you not to give up. He cuts in and he tells you, you know, I know you've been there. I know you've been watching over us and you've been helping us all this time. I know you're not just toying with us. And all, like, Agnes also gives you a pep talk. All of the Glon, like, the, not just the Glon's Empire, there's also Nords that is there too. Like, most of the... um. The new asterisk holders are encouraging you, telling you, oh, I, we know how much you care about this world, how you care about us. Don't you give up. And after that, you go back to the Battle of Providence and are able to defeat him for good, giving him a taste of his own despair. To me, one of the best fourth wall breaks I've played since the first bet in Kaitos. I mean, this is, I, I mean, I know what games have done similar things to this, but this is the best yeah. fourth wall, like, integration I've seen. It's amazing. And and it's, it's just weirdly, yeah. it, it's just weirdly moving to see these characters, like, encouraging you. And all just like, we know you care about us. You're just like, yes, I do care about you guys. I do. <laughs> that being said, the save data thing freaked me out, but we'll get into that why in the uh, memory <laughs> section. Yes. But yeah, that that was just amazing. And I love that uh, he uh, it's you takes the um, S and P from send a player and fills the SP bottle with it. And that's the kind of last push that you need. Yes, I guess. Very, very amazing. So yeah, yeah. after uh, you, you beat the boss and ha happy ending, right? Well, more or less, but... But despite that, you're back at Norende, but as you're about to go back, uh, Tiz again collapses because well, Altair's soul, he has doesn't have the energy to survive, apparently. It's, actually, when you think about it, it's actually kind of amazing he managed to survive long enough to beat the second form of Providence. Since yeah. the last time he, re he released a celestial soul, he collapsed right then and there. Uh, the, par yeah, the party tries to do something to bring him back, and after that, a, a familiar figure comes by you. It's the adventurer... Uh, the uh, character that you go to save in dungeons and to buy items from and such. Uh, they, she speaks in a feminine voice and she tells them how to save Tiz uh, to use the hourglass because it's like because it should be a substitute as a for a soul as a sorts given the, the uh, energy through hopes dreams and wishes. However, the hourglass they have is not enough. So to help them. She somehow, she cuts like a, a gash in reality and travels back two and a half years into the past and gives the, the SP Hourglass to Tiz in Bravely Default. Or should I say Bravely Default for the sequel, a.k.a. the Western release. This explains how you can use second, Bravely Second in that game, even though it doesn't at all come up in the story. <laughs> <laughs> that is... That, mind I, I there are still pieces of my mind scattered about i'm sure from this yeah see i, I it had been so long between both games that i didn't even pick up on that yes because if you yes what's even neater is that that first adventurer you meet that gives you the hourglass they're colored green instead of orange like the rest of them mm -hmm. or i guess it's i guess it's the same person but they're colored green instead of orange and for some reason when traveling back in time the adventurer color changes to green instead of orange <laughs> 
So, but anyway, and then in the present, they're like, okay, where's the hourglass now? And then Agnes comes on saying, I have it here. I've been holding it next to my heart, along with, uh, you know, my fondness for Tiz. So she, she is in Caldisa at that time. So she runs to Norende. Uh, she reaches to Tiz and uses it on him and brings him back. Uh, and they have a tearful, happy uh, group hug together. It's really sweet. And then happy endings with uh, seeing how the Glance Empire are out there, how they're faring. Uh, Agnes basically proposes to Tiz by saying she wants to change her last name to Orier. Uh, and you confesses to Magnolia. And also, Edia. It may or may not meet up with Ringabel because since we didn't mention the uh, the side quest yet, there's a, yeah. some to do. There. Yeah, I was about to ask, doesn't Ringabel show up at this point? Because I remember having to look up who he was. Yes, uh, that's the thing. You won't find out that that was Ringabel uh, helping Edia most of the time until unless you do the side quest uh, to get the yokai asterisk from Yoko. Ah. So I guess I could go into that a little. Uh, in order to fight y- Yoko, you have to uh, open the way to the vampire castle, which is where uh, the vampire DeRoso was in the first game. I think you have it for ready to collect these orbs. I, is that from the dragons? I don't quite recall. But anyway, if you open the door, uh, you enter the castle and Yoko is there telling you that if you want to find out the truth about the past and use family, you have to go through it. And also, you cannot change. You you cannot turn off or lower the uh, the random encounters because the gods of Lux and Dark have no power over there. Subtle. <laughs> yep. So you travel through it and you find out about more about Yu's father. His name is Greed, by the way, because no subtlety. And more about Foundar and about Yoko's origins as well. She's been apparently around forever, but at some point her soul was fused with that of a young girl who carried a deadly disease. And this is the same plague that ravaged Luxendark 20 years ago and was directly responsible for uh, the fall of the, like the orthodoxy losing a lot of power and the rise of the Duchy of Eternia. Anyway, during that, Yoko does manage to look into Edia's memories and she sees that one, like at one, Edia is very insecure about uh, how she compares to her father. She wants to strike out on her, you know, she wants to strike out on her own, build her own identity, but she also wants his approval. And she also feels very lonely because uh, she, th- you know, she thought Ring of Bell loved her, but he leaves at the end of Bravely Default, presumably going back to his own dimension that he came from. And thinks she'll be all alone because she doesn't have the same feelings for alternates as Dim in that world as she does for Ringabel. But then Ringabel comes and tells her that he'll always be there, that he does still care for her. And maybe someday they'll be together again, maybe. And uh, during the fight with Yoko, uh, Ringabel does help you by using his special attacks. And you get to hear his really awesome uh, battle theme of Love's Vagrant play while he does it. He does it a, a limited amount of time because eventually Edia tells him to put a, a sock in it so he does it some a limited amount of times. And Yoko is a pretty hard fight too. Anyway, you defeat her. Uh, you find out the last about Yu's family, but she gives a bit of hope and thinks that you might be able, might be different enough from his family. But it'll definitely be a force for change. And also after that, you get the yoke, the yoke, the yokai asterisk, which allows you to use very powerful magic and to summon uh, the sin beasts, which are those uh, monsters, which I think came from uh, Final Fantasy, the Four Heroes of Light originally. God. Yes, and th- that actually. 
that could also possibly ex- actually I don't know if that necessarily explains their appearance and bravely default as well but that's side point but yeah so ring a bell is there speaking of ring a bell there's a stinger at the very end of the game you hear ring a bell talking to somebody he calls the vice president over an image of the moon's surface saying that they managed to find the location of a certain weapon and it's the third key and uh, this item is apparently the sword of the brave what does this mean I have no idea. I don't think anybody does yet. I, I don't know, but I haven't played through Bravely Default 2 enough to know if this has anything to do with that. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe. Maybe not. Because they haven't really said if this one ties directly to the first two games or not. No, I mean, I know it doesn't thus far, but oh, they can I mean, surprise us. That's on, well, that, that's purposeful, I'm sure. But yeah, so that crypticness aside, there you go. Uh, Man, again, that's, not, that's not even getting into all the, the side stories between the attorney and ones too. But uh, yeah, maybe this, somebody else could talk about that because I'm tired. Yeah, that, that, that was dense. Uh, they, they, thank you, Cassandra. That was qu- quite the summary going back old school backtrack doing a full plot summary. But you kind of need to know the plot a little bit of this game, um, especially since the plot in the first game just wasn't there it seemed like i mean it it had a decent story but it wasn't nearly as dense as this well that it was kind of scattered too uh like there's all sorts of bits of lore and world history but you had to go and find it which since that involved the whole repeating chapters four through what was it four what was it five through eight i think yeah Uh, i think yeah, it wasn't a fun way to do it either. Oh. I actually really like it. Yeah, I actually really like how much more con- con- like uh, condensed, but not like ru- it's not rushed, but it's condensed. The characterization is because to really get a feel for the attorney and asterisk holders, you have to go through all those um, repeats so that they are you find out more about them. But you know that's repetitive and that's drawn out. In Bravely Second, you find out a lot more about the Glantz and. Em- that the Glantz Empire asterisk holders, their backstories, the reason why they fight, uh, without needing to do that repeat over and over again, which is why I feel so much more attached to them than when I felt, you know, very genuine when they were like giving me a pep talk at the end. Like, oh, yeah. I liked a lot of the Asterix holders in this game a lot better than the first game, mainly because these Asterix holders just kind of had reasons for the way they were and were much less jerky than the original ones. Oh, yeah. Like, they're supposed to be quote-unquote evil because they work for the quote-unquote evil empire, but... Even before you know you, they're even before they have they're spared in the uh, in chapter five. You do get to know more about them, their reasonings, uh, how much they mean to each other. Like uh, early on, you when Minette's about to go out to look for the party, uh, the uh, Emperor uh, Kaiser Oblivion, and like he he calls her, he says to her like, "Oh, who's a good little kitty?" Like it's really adorable. <laughs> and these they actually feel like a group of you know odd friends instead of just a bunch of people kind of made to work with each other. Yeah, I I, w- I will say I think that the cat master thing was definitely a callback to uh, Four Heroes of Light, where you turned into a cat after a while. <laughs> Maybe I mean I I think doesn't a ghost status kind of sort of come up in Final Fantasy three? I think where that one village everybody's turned into ghosts it's been a long time since i played that game yeah yeah, yeah you're right i just remembered that where they were either ghosts or disappeared somehow yeah they looked like these weird stick figures walking around they, they were supposed to be ghosts I, I think at least in the three in the ds version yeah yeah but that was in the the cat thing was a neat callback to four heroes of life 
everything about this game was delightful and so much of an improvement over the original game. Um, like, for example, um, could you, well, I say this, could you directly influence encounters in the original? Or was it just, like, on or off? Do you mean uh, the, uh, the the Japanese original or the uh, the Western one? Or, yeah, the West the Western one, the one that we got. Yeah, I think it was exactly the same way. You could lower yeah, it and you could turn them off entirely. Yeah. And you can increase them, too. Okay. And another fun thing that this, it gets a slight in like a story reason for how this works. Uh, the, before you can uh, before you can use the uh, in, like changing encounter rate, you see Tiz like thinking to him like he, they're in they're sneaking through the Eternian Central Command, and they see that there's a bunch of guards around. So Tiz tries to find a way to make them go away by saying, these aren't the intruders you're looking for. These aren't the intruders you're looking for. And then the guards say to each other, let's go on. These aren't the intruders we're looking for. And they walk away. <laughs> so I'm not exactly sure how that works, but that's apparently the explanation for how you can change random encounters. Something that I absolutely adore about, well, the first two games in this series, they changed it up quite a bit and bravely set or default default too too. um (laughs) for for better or for worse because i well i do like that you can see them on the map i don't like that they come right towards you and like like dragon quest nine before you can't always dodge Mm-hmm. Nine, you were actually pretty good with. Seven was worse. The seven on the 3DS, oh, the yeah. size of the monsters on the screen and the corridors. Like in nine, you could get through a lot of places. Seven, you couldn't. But I mean, yeah, yeah. it's that same concept. Yeah, I mean, largely in basic default two, you can. You still got just about enough space to get around them. It's but the fact when they charge at you, it's usually an indication that you probably should beat them up anyway because you need the. Yeah. 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 You, you need the experience for the next next boss. But. I, I didn't have a problem. If I had enough space and a straight line, I could outrun them. So. Now I'm, I'm all... so overleveled. Now I'm so overleveled that I can pretty much go around anywhere and everything runs away from me. And I'm yeah, yeah, same here. Like, I'm, still, yeah, I'm still early on and I, I just like grinding far too much. I was just like, can you get back here? Or how do I herd them together so I could get the, uh, the, sa- you know, the, the uh, co- sequential turn bonus? <laughs> but, um... I appreciated the sheer number of Asterix variety in this game compared to Bravely Default 1. Uh, just, God, there's so many of them, and they're so varied in different ways. It's like I almost, you know, a lot of times when it comes to these jobs games, I pick like two or three of them that I really enjoy and just stick with those. But these, every single one of them, it's like, ooh, what new passives can I get? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting ones. And it's nice the way that quite a few of them all synergize together as well. So even if you're sort of not necessarily using sort of lots on the passive bonuses you still get lots of neat combinations between the two main and sub jobs yeah especially since uh there's a few there's a few jobs missing from bravely default that they don't i mean some of them you can guess why they're missing uh but they're large like they're absent the the vampire the uh the salve maker the um the spell fencer the spirit master and the uh, and the and the arcanist are all missing, as I recall. I might be forgetting if one or two. Oh, and of course the uh, the conjurer, he's gone too. But you still get very, you know, you still have a, a lot more jobs to work with. There's still, I think, there's 30 total in Bravely Second compared to Bravely Default's 23, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, and you, you get some replacements for at least some of the abilities too. The Catmancer is and the Catmancer, the vampire, are basically both blue mages, but with a gimmick. 
Um, the uh, spirit master has some of the abilities onto the bishop instead. Uh, the element changing ability is on the Hawkeye instead of the spell fencer. But yeah, the variety is really neat, and, and they're creative too. The Kai, like the Kaiser, the Yokai. Again, that the the, uh, the the Hawkeye is probably my favorite class, just because I love the uh, the element changing and how powerful it is. It has some abilities that allow you to like really take advantage of making a lot of shots. Yeah, um, when I booted up my save file, the ones that I had at the end was two two ninjas, a black mage, and a white mage. But the ninjas were d decked out with um, swords equipped on all body parts, so f four swords so that they got four attacks per turn. And then white mage also had tine mage with spellcrafting attached to her. Oh. So the wizard spellcrafting is amazing. Actually, that might that actually might be my favorite class in this game. Yeah, B being able to direct how you want your spells to affect people, and it, it could be used on pretty much any magic in the game. So you know, spells that normally don't hit everything, like uh, the original haste, not haste aga, can hit everything using a spellcraft, or you can um, direct your targets, and even though you only hit one target, even though it should hit a bunch of them, you'll do more damage by hitting one target. You know, just so much different stuff. Some of it not seemingly useful, like the one that can hit everything foe and friend alike. I don't know, maybe you could do a heal spell for everyone, like for an undead enemy for that one. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you could have... You can have certain abilities or equipment, I guess, on your party so that it more affects the enemy, maybe. I mean, you could get, you could certainly get very clever. Could you oh, bounce the, on your people? I think there's get extra some. hits on reflect, I guess, would be I'd have to. equivalent. Yeah, don't, I don't quite know. But I, I do know, like, one of my favorite abilities uh, from a single class is the Bishop's Good Measure uh, that allows you to cast spells in succession against the target, and they'll uh, become, and, like, the next one will become more powerful. It's really very useful, and I, I just love putting that on my on my magic users. And I, I think another one allowed you to randomly cast yet another spell uh, as a follow-up after that. I forget exactly which one does that. I'm trying to find which class had the quad wield ability because oh that was that's the, the charioteer okay yeah the charioteer makes you lets you equip like multiple weapons to even places like your head and your body yeah i think i had that one like subclassed or had that ability i um i was looking back i've got a whole thread on a forum um that i've been on for 15 years that I wrote about this and i said uh i remember my women i did them as i want to say the a lancer or somebody one of the earlier classes um to do wolf stance and just had that with like three weapons equipped and blew through a lot of late game stuff just yeah, going oh, yeah. full on physical oh yeah the fencers is stances Fencer, are that's pretty it. useful too yeah yeah that was it So I, I will say that my fa my favorite outfit is the cat answer, but I'm also biased. Uh, the, yeah, well, you know what? I, Not I, a surprise. I, I, yeah, I I love that the boys get these little like actual cat ears. The girls just get those little cat crowns. That is adorable. Mm -hmm. Um, I also like the ranger's outfit, the uh, kind of mascot looking three head <laughs> mascot wolves. Yeah, for some reason I had that on Eddie, and I, at some point I had to change. Like while I was look rewatching the scenes. <laughs> Using the event viewer, I had to like take that off. Like, okay, it's very hard to take you seriously, Eddie. I'm sorry. <laughs> Did any of you uh, really exploit the moon 
and fighting balls on the moon. Oh yeah, yeah, I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that passive stuff in in general. My entire moon town, everything was maxed out to level ten. Yeah, same I here. I yeah, I actually wanted to fight enough balls to fill out the the bee sherry. Because you fill out more information as you defeat them. I could never get 100% complete on the, uh, which one was it? The urchin, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it was the, yeah, the urchin. For some reason, like, to get the balls, you had to do a spot pass on the internet. And for whatever reason, people just were not passing this ball around enough for my liking. <laughs> so I could never 100% that thing. I yeah, just I remember. Did, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I did most of the sort of moon stuff. I think I, I think I ended up getting that to level 10. No, I didn't do quite as many ball fights as I could have, I think, in the end. But I was plenty leveled anyway, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, my party's entirely maxed out at the end of this. Well, um, fighting the fun. balls, you could get um, the bread or the buns or something like that. Yeah, the bu- yeah, buns. Oh, man. They, I, I mean, I was getting, like, plus 100 HP buns and plus 100 MP buns a few times and just some to all stats, plus one to all stats or something. Man, I just, I feel like I abused that. I played this a couple months after a lot of my friends. So being friends with them, you could get, um, pull them into battle, right? Mm-hmm. Have that friend in battle. And it just, I, I abused that. I was like, I had no business beating the ball that I was uh, fighting. But hey, let me call in my buddy who's, you know, <laughs> got the level 99, whatever maxed out and mm-hmm. can knock off a lot in one shot and uh, I can finish it up. Mm-hmm. The other dumb mini game that I had way too much fun with was the craft mancing one where you're making little chomp. Oh, chomp craft. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so let me just talk a little bit about the scene before you unlock that. I, I before they so the party is somewhere. They're I, you, Edia, and Tiz are looking over a map, and for some reason, only Magnolia could see this weird humanoid owl creature that's trying to get her attention. She tries to tell me, hey, there's this weird owl thing here, and they're not just looking at it. So she walks over to it, it gives her a letter, and then disappears. And then she's like, don't you guys see that thing? And they're just like, what are you talking about? Then they see the letter that he leaves saying, here, all the materials you need to start up Chompcraft. <laughs> like, okay, poor Magnolia. <laughs> looking out to be some kind of weirdo. <laughs> that, that was a nice one to play when you were watching TV. Oh, yeah. Um, you get all the upgrades and stuff, and <laughs> there's just something satisfying about them making those little plush dolls and filling an entire box of them and then making a huge profit from selling the box. Although I can't remember what gameplay-wise that was supposed to actually do. It unlocked music, didn't it? Yeah, no, I, I thought, it unlocked music. I thought you just could play any of the music you came across, which I like to play with. Just put on something from in the in the game soundtrack. While I'm watching this, uh, I, I do I, I I I do remember playing it a lot, and then I, I just felt like the reward for me wasn't worth it. After I played <laughs> it for a few hours, I was like, "Wait a minute, this is all I'm getting? Am I getting like a new piece of armor or something like that?" Like, ah. I mean, it was yeah. kind of fun just to unlock more stuff, like to do too. You unlock better material. Mm-hmm. The little rainbow. It was just for better playing the game. Chomp just yeah. let you play Chomp better. Yeah. I think so, if I recall. <laughs> yep, just a loop. But no, it, it was, was fun. It was so satisfying, though. <laughs> like, like watching those satisfying videos on YouTube. So, something about watching them make that just kind of ticked a box. But, <laughs> Definitely. But I digress. And, and yeah, it is nice having all the me- music uh, tracks because the music in this game is excellent. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right, Matt, actually. Yes, uh, getting more CP does unlock more music in the game. Look at that. Yep. <laughs> oh, I was reading my forum post, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> said something about I just spent three hours on that for more music. What have I done with my life? <laughs> <laughs> but it was kind of passive too, so Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was meant to give you something to do while you were watching TV. Yeah, you put a little bit into it, you set it aside for a few minutes and come back to it. And yeah, so you could do something. Rinse and repeat. You could Correct. do something to keep it close for SP or, you know, making uh, rebuilding the moon. Yeah, and that's something that all the Bravely Default games have done, I think, really well. Kind of give you a reason not to just shut off your system. Mm-hmm. You know, from the first game, uh, you know, what was that? town that you rebuilt rebuilding norende and then this one you're working on the moon and even uh bravely default 2 has a whole system with the ship lady and you're getting power-ups and money and just random stuff for hey don't forget to do this before you go away and don't turn your switch off by the way (laughs) oh god nintendo burning our battery One of the best ways to get some the, those job orbs and get early levels out of a lot of those job orbs. Uh, though lately, I've been kind of hoarding mine for job uh, asterisks later on. Uh, I, I, I'm using it for the the gamblers because that uh, that annoying all all or nothing ability. Oh, like God. what the heck? Yeah, it's like I'm, no, I want to build this class. Stop not getting JP. I, I was only leveling Gambler just to get the money bu- buff, and then I'm going to dump that one pretty quick. Yeah, the question is he wants to complete it, though. So. Yeah. yeah, I was doing it Yeah, I was doing it for the money, but then the one character I had on Gambler was just massively over-level compared to all my other characters. <laughs> <laughs> well, have we uh, ripped this one apart? Are we uh, ready to take a little break and get into some memories? Yeah, I mean... Uh, maybe you could talk about the music a little more. Oh, yeah. Little yeah, bit. definitely. I don't think you have it all, really, other than, no, it's good. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, so uh, the, the bit on the development. The first game, of course, had Revo, the uh, the leader and really only permanent member of the band Sound Horizon. And he was initially slated to come back for Bravely Second. However, uh, there were scheduling conflicts and he couldn't. I bl- I believe around the same time of the uh, his his previous album not his previous album one of his previous albums the not what nine was released so probably that was a scheduling conflict was working on his actual album <laughs> so instead you get a new composer rio from the band supercell so and that's the new music you hear in this game although there's a lot of returning tracks uh like the the, the towns you revisit are there some of the battle themes like the uh like the that person's name is when you're fighting the attorney and asterisk holders of course the ball battle theme comes back yeah Vio is sort of similar in to sort of revo in that he sort of writes all the music and everything else and then joined by various ah. guest vocalists ah interesting and, yeah, so I think a lot of the Superstar, or I think the other one he does is Egoist, but there's quite a few anime openings and ending themes that he's involved with. Okay, cool, cool, because I haven't looked into him too much. I mean, this game plus Attack on Titans openings made me a Revo slash Sound Horizon fan, uh, but yeah, I haven't looked into... Yeah, I think most of the Superstar ones, I think uh, Baka Monogatari is quite heavily involved in. Um real quick before we get into the memories i do want to get into the the pricing because um physical copies you can find for pretty cheap around 20 bucks um obviously the eShop still has it for 40 which is i mean isn't too bad i don't know if it goes on sale 
or not, probably not, given that it's Nintendo published. But um, g- given the pattern of other shops d- disappearing this week, you might want to pick it up if you want it digitally dialed and later, because I have a feeling that the eShop is going to be shut down at some point. Yeah, some well, I mean, they stopped making 3DSs, so... Yeah, so, j- just a heads up on that, but did anybody pick up the Collector's Edition? Oh, I have it on my shelf right now, actually next to the Bravely Default Collector's Edition. Quite nice. I, I've, I've got both Collector's Edition, and man, that art book is amazing that came with it. Uh, it's, yeah, I love looking through that. It's phenomenal. I, I remember debating, what like, should I get some of the actors to sign this, or should I get them to sign something else for these characters? I, I still don't have a signature on it yet. Yeah, I've got the European one, which is, I think, slightly different. But I think the only difference is basically the Anya's figure, small figurine. Oh, cool! You actually got figurines. Lot, yeah, which is a lot better than the one they had for uh, Bravely Default. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> I like I like the small one. The small one's well designed. And I gotta say, I also love how beautiful that box is. Very nice, uh, not lenticular, um, holographic box, which which is kind of neat. Though I. Can't, I can't remember if I, yeah, I did Amazon this one because that's when Amazon started getting really bad about shipping my collector's editions in uh, paper envelopes or padded envelopes and my stuff getting damaged. So I think the corner of my collector's edition has a little uh, dent in it, which irritates me. Uh. But what you going to do? Mm-hmm. See, and I'm one of those weird people that I sell all my video games. I, I collect none of these. And the great part about this is I made one heck of a profit on this game because <laughs> I sold it six months after I bought it. And the price was still pretty good. Maybe, you know, $10, $15 under what I paid for it. And magically, like two months later, it came back to me. Like it just in the mail one day, there it was like undeliverable mail returned to sender. And I tried contacting the person who bought it on eBay and their account was gone. Huh. So I put it up. I put it up for sale again and sold it again. (laughs) So I don't know whatever happened, but yeah, I, you know, I bought it for 50 or whatever it was when it came out and sold it for like twice for $40. Hey, if you want the collector's edition sealed, it's uh, around 200 bucks on eBay. Uh, are, the, are physical copies of the first game still more expensive than second? Because I recall that being they a are. thing for a while. They <laughs> are, yeah. Which is, I, I don't know what that says, because this is, a, I mean, Bravely Second I, is the better game. Oh, definitely. Now, And the first game, I remember I paid probably, I paid more for the first game than the second, because I played the first game right as the second one came out, and its price was high at that point that right about probably what it is now what 50 60 bucks it's not wow i didn't realize high, really? I, th- I thought it would still be like you know the 40 40 or maybe 45 dollars that it went for originally yeah i didn't know that this game shot up that high over the years because i i bought my copy new and i very rarely ever sell games yeah same here let me huh. see yeah um, where is it um, like the card itself goes for 30 bucks give or take uh, new in box, you're looking at around 45 to mm-hmm. 50. So yeah, the, the first one held its value more, but I mean, it, it kind of spiked right around when the second one was coming out, kind of a, you might have expected, and that's when I bought it, so I was like, ah, of course. But when I sold it a few months later, it was still worth that much, so it was okay. You ever wonder if they would do a Bravely collection on the Switch? Oh, yeah, that, yeah. well, oh, you mean all the games together? 
Yeah. And I'm not sure. Like, what are they going to do with the camera g- uh, gimmick for the first two games? Don't know. I mean, it, it could be possible. There have been a lot of 3DS games that have come to Switch, like uh, mm-hmm. Wins With You and all that. But mm-hmm. it, it would be nice to see them do a re-release just to let people that never got into the 3DS and experience both games. I mean, I'd get it for sure. I just would really wonder about that. Oh, I, I totally get it, too. But I think we can take a break now and come back and talk about our Bravely Memories. And welcome back to our Bravely Second Backtrack. Um, I, I just realized I, I keep wanting to call this game Bravely Default 2 and the new one Bravely Second because in my head, that naming convention makes more sense. Am I crazy? or? Oh, you're not crazy, no. Okay. I mean, it, I think it is crazy. confusing. <laughs> well, I mean, aside from my regular crazy Alex. <laughs> well... I mean, Baby Second's actually involved in this game. So. Yes, the actual mechanic. <laughs> right, that, right. That is true. true. It's more the issue of called Bravely Default 2. But... Yeah. Yeah. But, Especially uh, since everybody was predicting Bravely Third or maybe Bravely Sword with the whole bra- Sword of the Brave thing, but... <laughs> but that being said, we've got some excellent memories regarding this game, and I'm sure we are all chomping at the bit to share them, especially with me teasing mine. But um, I'm just going to start with Alex, since he's the tiredest and probably wants to go to bed. Yeah, well, I was struggling to think of specific memories of this, cause, just because it's been a while and I didn't have as long to revisit it as I typed. But there's a few that I definitely think stand out for me. I think the, the murder mystery side quest was... <laughs> definitely one, one I can still remember but apart from that it's lots of the basically just the character interactions between largely between the party there's just lots of lots of fun smaller interactions between them especially sort of in the I think the tent events for it were really good and then just basically the how well the finale worked as well as sort of just just the major thing and how even after playing Bravely Default I was surprised at how well Bravely Second did something else that sort of was just as just as good as sort of how that finale worked even though it had the the obvious issues beforehand of the repetition mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, that's pretty much it for my side. <laughs> Did you play this you? one for review, Alex? 
Yeah, I did. But I obviously had the two-month advantage. I was going to say, so you had an even more of an advantage because yeah, you had the European copy. Yeah, which, which I know helped a few of the uh, US-based RPG game and stuff. Because I could obviously send some slightly overpowered sons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, like I said, that was great. I'll talk about that in a minute when it's my turn. Yeah. We'll do Cassandra next. Oh, sorry. Okay, so what really, like, what really stuck to me and will forever imprint itself on my memories is how this game takes the first games like makes crazy revelations and builds on them and somehow succeeded in blowing my mind all over again so think of myself how do you top like how do you top the, that fourth wall break how do you top uh seeing your face in the camera uh how do you top the the last boss wanting to invade the, seemingly wanted to invade the real world and that and the fairy at the end not being airy but you she want she wanted your help to seemingly save the world you do what bravely second does so let me just go into that Anna thing because that's definitely one of the biggest ones. So Anna the fairy, midway through the game and a little later, implies strongly that, she, no, she does say that she is Aerie's sister, that Aerie is her sister and that the fairies are servants of the gods created to obey their whims. And she said that she had to first stop Aerys' stupid plan, as she puts it, before she could help her master Providence invade Luxendark. And what did Aerys work for the god Ouroboros, who wanted to invade the Celestial Realm? So that just utterly blows my mind. That fairy was not asking for you, the player's help, to save the world. She was asking for your help to defeat a rival god of her master, so her, go her god could take over the world instead. Just like the heck, you used me, Anna, and everybody else who played this game, I guess. And that was just utterly incredible. And of course, uh, the other major one is the revelation that the adventurer, Deneb, uh, who's a friend to Altaran Vega, was that the adventurer this whole time, and that they have the ability to travel back and forward in time. And of course, how the hourglass, uh, the, the you know the Bravely Second hourglass, was just casually introduced in Bravely Default. Because all throughout Bravely Second, I was thinking the, the, the Bravely Second mechanic is super important to the story. Why is does it seemingly just just get thrown in for Bravely Default? Was it really just to give the game, you know, it's for the sequel, just to give a little taste of a future mechanic? Yes and no, <laughs> as that is a major plot point. And the, it's saying that both the original Japanese version that we we never got. And the Western slash for the sequel enhanced version are both canon to the story. That is that is insane. And of course, oh, and dealing with multiple worlds and multiple universes and everything. Oh, yeah, like again, the, the, what, what did Doctor say? Timey, wimey, wibbly, wobbly stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I forget exactly. Yeah, no, it's beautiful. And can I just say, I appreciate it when an RPG makes a save point a part of the story instead of it just being a save point. <laughs> yeah, and it just feels like there's no adventure, at least as far as I can tell, there's no adventure in Bravely Default 2. So, uh, okay, well. I guess I should probably hold my tongue in case something else comes up, but yeah, I wonder. Wonder indeed. Um, Matt, what about you? So these, uh, I play both games back to back, and they are totally linked to the birth of my second son. And uh, it, it was right around before he was born. I was like, oh man, this thing's coming out like the week he's due. And I had a friend who had just played through the first one earlier that year because this came out in April. And I was like, you know, I like old school Final Fantasy 
I love 3DS RPGs. Why did I never play the first one? So I bought a used copy, started playing it right as my son was born. And my second son, horrible sleeper. So this was like my 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. game. I swear, like every night he'd wake up. I'd have to rock him to sleep. I was stuck in the rocking chair with a baby on top of me. You know, it was awkward to move and then lift him and put him back in the crib only to have him cry 10 minutes later. So I was like, whatever, I'm just going to fall asleep in this rocking chair. And, you know, well, I'm in the rocking chair and it's 2 a.m. and I'm wide awake because I've had four or five hours of sleep already. Eh, maybe I should just bring my 3DS in with me. And for probably about the first four months of his life, I played this game every early morning. Um, the first one and then the second one back to back. So through the summer and everything. So I was about two months behind uh, everybody else because I was, you know, inching my way through the first game for a couple months right as this came out. And then when uh, Bravely Second came out, I, I, all, a bunch of my friends that have been playing it had all those overleveled people, kind of like Alex uh, providing support for a bunch <laughs> of the RP Gamer staff. I had a good five or six people that I could uh, rely on to keep sending me people. And like, yeah. So it helped me with my ball busting, definitely. Uh, and having some people to kind of give me some hints on uh, more of like classes and anything. Nobody was spoiling plot or anything, but like, oh, try this out. Try that out. Um, equipping the weapons to so many different places was awesome. Like, let me just throw an extra spear on my head. Uh, so, yeah, I, I just I, I remember playing this game in the pitch dark <laughs> so much over the from like April through August. I, I looked it up. I beat this in August of the year that it came out. So April, May, June, July, August. It took me about five months to get through both games completely. And yeah, the first game, you know, I had the same complaints as pretty much everybody else. I was really enjoying it, but like, come on, man, let's not keep doing the same thing over and over again. And the second game, just like it, it was the first game without that plus more awesomeness. So really good memories from my times with this and rocking my baby to sleep. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to have a game to, you know, rock your baby to sleep with. Mm -hmm. that, that always gets you or not necessarily irritating, but you lose a lot of game time when you have a kid, I've heard. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and anything that you can do passively while you're feeding or whatever is sounds great. It, it made that, like, hey, I've got the middle of the night kind of shift thing. I, I looked forward to it. Like, I could hear the crying at 1.30 in the morning, wake up, and instead of being like, oh, damn, I'd be like, woohoo, bravely default time. <laughs> <laughs> well... My memory. So I, I played this kind of sporadically since it since it had released from like April to July that at the time. And the day that I got my wisdom teeth out, I was pretty much laid up on the couch, nothing to do, couldn't, couldn't really eat. I had slept off my Novocaine at that point. So I decided that I was going to go ahead and finish this game. Because hey, I pretty much had nothing else to do. And when it showed that scene with, where it did the front camera, all I saw in the was my face all swollen and bruised from my wisdom tooth surgery. And it's like, wow, this is flattering. <laughs> but bear in mind, I'm also on uh, painkillers, so I'm also high as a kite. So when that thing with the faking to delete your save thing came up, I freaked out. 
I just had, wow. had no clue what was going on. I thought that my game got bugged. And I was just like, oh my god, what what's what am I gonna do? It's it's not doing oh oh go ahead. Oh, okay. It's cool now. And that's what I will always associate that this game with is tooth pain and high as a kite and finishing it while high as a kite. <laughs> <laughs> and thinking, oh no, I see <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That that was crazy to me. And but but works so well because, you know, on your pain beds and had this cool fourth wall break and it's like, whoa, they're talking to me. That's awesome. And yeah. <laughs> and, and aside from that, just the, being able to play through the such a nice game and all the mind mind blows and stuff. It's just amazing. I, I do love this game and it, I really do hope that we can wish a uh, Switch collection into existence as we've done in the past. Or maybe a direct follow-up to this game. There's a few little lingering plot points, though, again, not having finished Bravely Default 2, I don't know if any of those will be touched upon there or not at all. We shall see. So do we want to get into the uh, newest game just a little bit? No, no spoilers, so don't worry about having to... Um click away or anything like that it's a brand new game as of this recording so we will not be that way because people that do that suck and not all of us are at the same point in the game yeah because i mean yeah i'm like cassandra i like holy crap i just on chapter two and i've had this game for like three weeks now i need to get a move on i'm like i I have over 30 hours clocked on this and on chapter because i'm doing a lot of just grinding up and building job points (laughs) But building up job points is so easy in this game because of being able to round up the enemies. The real trick is finding a good place to round them up at. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that the, the coast south of the first town is the best place because you get two mermen and two flans, and you can get up to eight of eight of either one. Up to eight is a combination of either one, and they pretty much just flee in a straight line. So being able to round them up into the corner is pretty easy there. Uh, interesting. Uh, it, and see, what's funny is I hear I've heard a lot of you guys talk about that, and I never, I don't think I ever chained any battle more than once. And I've hit fifty hours, rolled, um, beat, rolled credits. I saw credits, um, like many JRPGs out there. I'm sure that's not the end of the game at all. But uh, post game stuff and whatnot, yeah, especially, and especially, especially a bravely game. Yes, yes. So uh, I, I won't say anything other than that. But I have seen credits at about uh, forty eight hours into it, and already started some other stuff after. But what I did kind of early was I went after those freelancer, the JP up things, and I abused. Um, Because there's some of those, I can't remember what they call them. There's some of those more powerful monsters that always respawn and they're always in the same location. Uh, And uh, I think they're called rare monsters, but yeah, I know. Yeah, there was uh, that snake one outside the dungeon in the desert. You you Mm -hmm. go at the back of the dungeon and there's that snake out there and they he drops the defender sword because a lot of these ones drop weapons that they're weak to. Um, and he was just right outside a place that made it really easy to farm, went in and out, in and out, in and out, and uh, gave a good amount of JP, got everybody their freelancer level through the roof on that, um, and then just played the rest of the game with everybody on the JP up, uh, both of them, because there's two different ones that can stack to up to like 1.7, 1.8, 1, 1.9 JP. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah, one point seven. I think one point. Yeah, the one's one point one, and then the other one adds point six more. So. Uh, I did realize later on as, as I got towards the end of the game, like, man, I should take this ability off when fighting bosses to actually have some better abilities on. But for uh, all the trash mobs and everything, it was pretty good. I found myself uh, using Berserker has a hit all enemies attack. Um, and there was something that uh, allows Berserkers to not use any uh, of your MP or your hit points for abilities just basically go berserk. So I would uh, brave up for all that. And I know a lot of people, just, Kelly, I heard you talking on RPG cast. You just braved up and did regular attacks. Mm-hmm. And I, I did that early game, definitely. But as I got that berserker, I would just go berserk because I think berserk only lasts three turns. So by g- getting my four turns in, I'd go berserk, do my turns. And by the time, if that came around, I wouldn't be berserk anymore. But more often than not for trash mobs, I never was. So I, I just I felt like I could blow through everything like that and just become a glass cannon, which was my boss strategy for a, quite a bit. Like go into it knowing I'd be dying a lot. I think Phoenix Downs cost not too much. And even the ethers for restoring all your uh, or the elixirs or no ethers for restoring MP. Everything get- seemed very cheap. Yeah, getting a ton of items is fairly easy because there's not too much else to spend it on. Correct. It's most of mm-hmm. so. you'll gain from bosses anyway, and you can't even just assign best equipment anyway due to the weight. Oh, yeah, yeah that's fairly easy to come across. Money is fairly easy to get to, I find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, that's the only weight does... system really changes up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Of stuff. Not only and, does and, everything. Does everything drop stuff that you can sell for extra money? But you get that gambler asterisk pretty early on to get the money boost. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh, no. So, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of glass cannoned my way through it. I, I knew what I was going to do. I knew my people were going to die 10, 12 times of boss battle. And <laughs> I just rolled with it. <laughs> Braved up my healers and uh, defaulted my, or no, defaulted up my healers and brave through my attackers and like, well, you know, I'm just going to take out 10,000 hit point a turn and die and I'll be back in a little bit to do 10,000 more. (laughs) That is one thing that I've had to come to terms with is that for boss fights that it's going to be okay to die and um, just make sure that you do the same point before the boss fight and die and just don't be afraid to experiment with your loadout. Yes. All all the countering act things that the bosses have is... That's what killed me. That's why I was like, I'm just going to go glass cannon. You're going to counter something, and either I'm going to spend a lot of time learning your abilities, or I'm just going to blow through and kill yeah, my guy. Those, I'll come back. Yeah, those are fun. As, yeah, those are fun, especially when they're countering white magic abilities. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, let me heal you. Is, oh, nope, you got healed and then hit again. <laughs> yeah, I, like I'm wondering, is there going to be a class of an undo ability? Because that'll be super useful for this. Because that counts as healing, but not white mage healing. Counter, counter. Can we have a counter, counter? <laughs> something like that <laughs> but yeah i i do like uh i i, I, I was get a kick out of that in games where if you do lose a fight uh, at least i should hope the game should communicate well enough to figure out a strategy and how to get around that and come out on top next time and i also like thinking about things on the fly uh at least one it was the, it was the battle against um the was it was it no it was the uh holder of the um the ranger asterisk and they had a uh, strange demon-like companion. Uh, oh, that yeah. demon-like companion was immune to any weapon. But then I 
and I, and I didn't know my setup was kind of weird. I didn't have a uh, monk. But then I realized that if you unequip the weapon and you punch them with bare ar- like bare hands, they would take damage. So I managed to get through that fight just by punching the daylights out of it with bare hands, even without a monk. Yeah, my Seth was a monk for the f- good first two chapters for a while. And then it was like, well, this is boring. I've punched my way through about a half the game. <laughs> I, I, wanna, I want weapons. <laughs> so... No, it, it, which luck, you know, but that worked out for me in that ranger battle. So mm-hmm. I will say I wish you could identify a little bit more of what's going on with some of those monsters when you use either use the magnifying glass or something, because some of them like get half damage from a sword. But nowhere in there can you see that unless you remember you hit them with a sword. Yeah, it only tells you elemental stuff, doesn't it? Yeah, it might be Correct. in Bestiary, I don't quite remember. But but yeah, not with, if you look at it during battle. Yeah, it tells you elemental weaknesses and weapon weaknesses, but not what they're strong to. Yeah. So, But it is nice, mid-battle, you can switch your weapons. Yeah, that's really nice. Mm-hmm. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I did that because I walked into a boss battle and... Every everything I was hitting them with was like, oh, half swords, half axes. I'm like, <laughs> okay, like, this is ridiculous. Oh yeah, like that 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 demonish creature just to take damage from any weapon. Exactly. So, yeah. And it takes like it and it's very resistant to magic too. I think so. You are better off just punching it, even if one of them's not a monk with the or it has the bare-handed you know bare-handed brawler ability on. Just mm-hmm. like yeah, you're punching with my bard. What else am I gonna do? <laughs> Although the bar is actually very, very useful. Really like that ability to uh, reduce damage. Um, the other reason why I feel like I've been taking forever is because I'm hooked on the card game. I don't know if anybody else has been playing. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, B&D. D <laughs> and I, they, they use the yeah. same strategy of okay, I'm gonna beat you by learning your by by, by mem- my, maybe not memorizing, but learning thinking of ways to get around you by seeing what kind of moves you use, which is kind of because the, the the way to get the gambler asterisk is to beat the character mm-hmm. in B and D, and you get a you get a game over if you lose to to her. Mm-hmm. So that's all started like, oh, okay, I guess I'll just keep resetting and reset, like restarting the game together until I could come out on top. It didn't take too long, but I'm still not expecting to lose. I just figured, oh, I got going to miss out on the asterisk. I better just reload. Like, no, I have to reload anyway. Oh, yeah, I, that I, had to do. I beat her on the first try, but that was oh. because they made it very clear that you need to use, uh, I think it was Oliver or the Bard's um, card. Or- Orpheus, yeah. Yeah, Orpheus. Where, where did I get Oliver? I've still got trails on the brain. Um, but yeah, it said, use this card. And I, I've just figured out that, you know, any anybody that has an, like one of those cards that's just a flat-out ability without putting anything on the board, keep an ability in your back pocket and just immediately counter it, and you'll win. Oh, or you'll see, win. I've actually leaned into that, like... If they have an ability to boost, um, like, whatever, beast types, I'll just mm-hmm. fill my deck with beast types. Yeah. And, like, hey, thanks for the boost. Yeah, that's a way, too. Because mm-hmm. it does. Yeah. I, I haven't leaned into the abilities much, but I've played that game 50, 60 times, I think. And uh, I got through rank A and just looking what it's going to take to get to rank S. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to fight another 50 or 60 of these. Yeah, because I just clear everybody of their cards and then um, clear everybody of their cards. And then just, you know, once I'm done, like, okay, I'm done playing with you i'm moving on to somebody else to clear everybody of their cards um have you have you lost any cards yet once and that's when i learned to save before no what is it the no what's that ability no keepsies if i see them that they're not using the no keepsies i'm like oh man better save here 
Yeah, I've I've been doing the same, especially if I've been on a win streak and be like, okay, I'm gonna back out and save because I'm doing way too well. I know I'm gonna screw up one. Yeah, if I'm playing with no keepsies, I don't care if I lose. I'm like, ah, I'll take the L. Let's play again. <laughs> but um, but yeah, t- t- definitely getting triple triad vibes from this game. It's a little card game. I I would, to be honest, I would play a mobile version of this. It's that fun. I'm not going to go that far to say a mobile version. (laughs) I would play a version of this. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's a fun little distraction. It is. Yeah, oh, it is. And and I like how you just walk up to random people around there and you can see little cards floating above their head Mm -hmm. and like, hey, let me hit Y, let's go. Yep, I'm going to get all your cards. So um, I will say one of the things that I think is missing from this game that like they they really need to patch in there's no way to tell what side quests you've done which ones you haven't oh god i'm so glad it's not just me being crazy nope it's not in the menu and i went online finally and i've found a huge long reddit thread and no it's not there unless you're like writing down hey i did number one i did number seven i did number 12 now it, it does make it very clear that you know you just go back to a town if you're in the day if you're in the night you zoom out and you can see everybody but there's people on the overworld with a uh, side quest so yeah mm-hmm. I, I don't know if i haven't gone around a mountain and missed somebody i don't know maybe for me this is a good thing because i've been on record as saying that it one way to get me to do all, all your side quests is to number them because if oh, i yeah. see oh, God. Uh, put the number mm-hmm. on it i'm there if i see a gap then i will have to do go find the gap that's what got me with uh nino kuni too so maybe not being able to see them maybe i won't spend so much time trying to do side quests even though i still think it's good to do them because you get lots of uh, exp and jp orbs yeah i will say there's a lot of early ones that were pretty like are you kidding me that's all i'm gonna get Hmm. (laughs) and there was one that was in Gosh, I want to say it's the snow town that is absolutely it it was because they're all ranked on how many stars they are. Mm -hmm. And there was one that was a one star. And I'm like, well, I'll walk up to this. And, you know, where it has the it shows you where the quest is. Literally, it was like, talk to one person, take a three second walk, talk to somebody else. Hey, you did it. I was like, they thought to put that in. Okay, (laughs) it took me under a minute. I, I have appreciated that a lot of the side quests have some interesting story bits, like one of the ones where you yes. go back into the palace in the starting area, and not going to say what that one does, because I don't want to spoil the <laughs> first chapter of the game, but it was it was very touching. I um, also appreciate the kind of t- tales of inspired party chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff. those were... Yeah, those were in the first... Yeah, those were in the first two games as well, the party chats. Okay, I I must have bought either yeah. not watched them or it's been so long, I forgot. Yeah, they're. Were I mean, they, were they in your face I, like that with something on the screen? Yeah, they were. I mean, they were on the screen. They were uh, portraits. Um, they're unvoiced. I mean, they're they're unvoiced in this game yeah. too. In Bravely Default too, and at least in Bravely Second, they're overshadowed by the uh, the use magic tent scenes, which are fully voiced. But they're there, and they're kind of amusing. Yeah, def- definitely cute. Um, and and speaking of cute, can I can I just say that is is Elvis not the best character in that game? Uh, so I waited far, the whole time so. for him to become annoying, <laughs> and he never did. I, I also say, um, gosh, who was it? Adele early on got really excited about food a couple times and I started having like idiotly like oh my god are we gonna go on with this again and it backed off (laughs) it was like one or two scenes towards the beginning and I was like oh oh boy here we go and nope nope they just 
let that go. It, it didn't become a ridiculous trait. Same thing with Elvis and his drinking. It is not like this huge. He's no Oliver in uh, tra- Tales. <laughs> trails. Gosh, Tales, Tales, whatever. <laughs> Legend of Heroes. He's no Oliver. But I love him just as much. Like, he, he goes there, but not like ridiculous overly to the top there. They pulled it back a little bit, I think from what it could have been uh, he's not like, even a uh, ring a bell level oh um, far from it i mean he's still charming no, yeah. his own way oh yes oh yeah but he's and, he's uh, yeah. the older character he's... there and kind of kind of acts it a little bit despite mm-hmm. being some comic relief as well i've heard people complaining about his accent and do they not realize he his voice actor really is scottish uh maybe not i mean this is this was dubbed in the it was it has, it's same, dubbed in the uk right or i believe it has the same one as uh, the dragon dragon quest 11 i think yeah it's the uk dubbing scene which is somewhat different because it uses a bunch of tv and stage actors rather than dedicated voice mm-hmm. actors which is different from bravely default and bravely second because they used Basically, the the regular anime crowd, I think. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the the the, the LA based voice actors. Yeah, New York slash LA based, because yeah, mm-hmm. just... yeah. So that's uh, neat because it adds a bit more flavor, and at least so far, I've noticed that area that different areas have their own dedicated, like uh, in Wizwald, where Elvis comes from, they all have a Scottish accent. Yep, yep. So that's a neat little. At least they do a, li- a lot better than yeah. uh, Dragon Quest Four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And having oh, a lot of it voiced helps as well. You're not just having to read. Oh yeah, that you're hearing it. Yeah, reading, yeah, reading accents is hard, isn't it? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> yep. Uh, can I have that Elvis as a Beastmaster is adorable? I love his fox getup. Oh yeah, yeah. I love his little fox getup too. Well, t- time will tell if I'll f- feel about this game like I feel about the other two. I know that I'm spending a lot of time with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you like the uh, graphics? Oh, beautiful. I, I cannot get over how great the textures look in this game. Like, when I first mm-hmm. noticed that the gold trim on the princess's dress was shiny. Oh, it was the lighting like, and the water effects mm-hmm. are the two things that really, and heck, the water effects are almost lighting things. So I it, it's beautiful. I, I could just stare all day at all the textures on the monsters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So have you turned off the blurring effect around the edges? I don't think I have. I got used to that so quickly that by the time I found it in the menu, I was like, no, I'll leave it on. It's fine. Yeah, same here. I know some people complain about it, just like, eh, okay, I don't really notice it. I think it's one of those things that, you know, it's different at the beginning, but you get two or three hours into it, and that's that's just what the game is. Yeah. Uh, so you yeah, roll yeah, with got, it. That's me, for sure. Yep. And when I first got into town, I was running around that town trying to figure out just how exactly they programmed it. If it was like a 2D drawing that they rendered in 3D or what. Mm-hmm. I, I eventually well, had to ask. Oh, well, yeah, multiple layers. I, I eventually had to ask my husband, who's a programmer, how do you think they did that? And he explained, yeah, they probably did a 3D model, but then slapped the 2D assets on it and called it mm-hmm. good. Yeah, so that way, it, like, it looks more advanced, but it's it, it does evoke the uh, the storybook feel of the first two games as well. I quite like mm-hmm. it. It's gorgeous. Um, I'm sure in two years we'll be talking about it. I'm sure. Yep. Well, um, thank you for joining the show. This is, of course, a production of RPGamer.com. And Matt, you want to put us to bed? Yes. I was going to say, uh, with Mr. Minky not here to put us to bed tonight, I'll end this actually with a nice little shout-out thank you to Square Enix. 
um, I, after years of some bitter feelings towards them personally, first in the 90s and then in the early uh, 2000s for totally taking right turns after Final Fantasy VI and after Final Fantasy X and making really quite different Final Fantasy games after that, um, not to mention all the murder, murder, murder I felt in the 3DS era with only half the uh, Dragon Quest games coming westward. Uh, starting in 20... Gosh, starting in the 2010s here with Bravely Default, uh, Bravely Second, Octopath Traveler, and now Bravely Default 2. These games have been excellent. They have reminded me of the excellent older school games that I loved um, with modern day really awesome graphics, especially here on the Switch, and lots of modern day conveniences, like all the little quest markers here in uh, Bravely Default 2. So Squeenix, please keep giving us games like this. Keep going, doing your AAA stuff too, but thanks for giving us old school RPG fans some love too. Good night.